You're now the reading of the scriptures from Romans 8. It will be in your bulletins. It's from 8, 28 to 39. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be comfort, conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What shall then we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for we say, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. God's people can say to that, Amen. Happy New Year. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor at Christ Central Church. And um, we're going to begin a a short sermon series um, on good news. Tell me something good, right? Um, We've had a pretty rough year um, economically and everything else. And we just came off a grow up sermon series. Um, So let's talk about some good stuff a little bit. And after the reading of that scripture, what more can you really add? I can read it again. We could say some amens. Some of y'all can get up and talk and testify. And then we can go home. Well, we got to eat the supper too. Then we can go home. Um, I want to, uh, we just, tradition here at Christ Central, I want to recognize. It. I thought I saw Pastor Black here. Pastor Black, you here? He's in the corner. Y'all can't see him. He's the pastor over at Second Street. Presbyterian Church at Albemarle. I know you were trying to hide, brother, but I saw you. He's a, we have a Presbyterian. He's basically, we are a member of the same church or the Presbyterian pastors together and he probably on vacation wanting to hide out, don't want nobody to see him. I saw your brother. We want to honor you today. Thank you for preaching God's words faithfully in Albemarle. So if you find yourself out there, way out there, I'm kidding, ain't that bad. <laughs> If you find yourself out there, Second Street Presbyterian. If you got friends out there, Second Street Presbyterian. Remember, Pastor Black is white. That's one way to remember. That's one way to remember him. I'm black and I'm Pastor Brown. Just starting to sound like Doc. Starting to sound like Dr. Seuss up here, isn't it? Hello, Mr. Black. Hello, Mr. Brown. Okay. All right. 
Let's get serious now because we got scripture to do. Life can feel like such a bubble, right? Like we were living in the protective security. Remember the boy in the bubble? I, I don't know why this in my mind. It was on TV the other John Travolta. Okay. He came out, died, and all. Okay. Anyway, let me get serious. God, this is serious stuff. Life can feel like a bubble, like we are living in the protective security of a bubble. Like we are standing and depending and on and building our hopes and dreams on the bubble. And we know what bubbles do in the playoffs, right? In the economy, bubbles pop, right? You think you got it going on, Clemson, NCAA tournament against Duke or UNC? You think you got it? You're on the bubble? Pop. Used to it. Good happening. Good security. Good times. Good friends. Good economy. Good jobs. Good marriages. Even good churches are sometimes like an illusion, a bubble of good that we live in and on that what? It will not last and that we cannot in all our stress and anxiety and good guesses and expert analysis and forecasts, we can't seem to avoid feeling like life is being lived on the bubble. We live believing good will turn bad, right? Everything will come back and bite you in the behind, right? It's the third law of moral dynamics, All things are moving to a state of bad or worse. And the only way to escape it is to substantively or psychologically drug or or fool ourselves into just another bumble of either a temporary transcendent oblivion or, or some kind of condescendent depressive ignorance. We have to go around and say good happens or work real hard to make good out of bad or call what is really bad good so that we can just make it another day on earth or, or we play spiritual games see the prosperity gospel that you know somehow we seek to turn the yang into the ying right to make it all good with principled godly living behavior baloney stuff I could go on and on and with the games we about the games we play with a truly hard life, but as I began to write this and think about it, it's even tiring and depressing for me. So let me give you this option from the Word of God that will come through um, our four-week sermon series next week. Next couple of weeks, we'll have Pastor Giorgio and then Matt Howe preaching for us. Um, What if the God of the Bible... Yeah, this one. The God of the universe, this one. The God of the gospel, the the God and Savior manifested in the Lord Jesus Christ. What if God is good? Would, Would that not be good news? I mean, the Bible seems to believe and teach that so much so that historic Christianity has continued with audacity to, con- to coin with definite article the Bible's message as what? The good news. 
Good news that is a result of the good God. Now, over the four weeks, we want to share more of what that means over... um, But let's start here. Good news. The God, the good God of the Bible is in control. The good God of the Bible is in control. What that means is that God is sovereign. That God's divine attributes, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, his omnicompetence are draped and dressed in the character of his justice and mercy and holiness and benevolence. And that has defined and shaped and is colliding with all that happened and is happened and will happen. What that means is that the arbitrary, the the free concepts and occurrences of good and bad have a Lord over them. When the Apostle Paul writes here in verse 28, if I can find it, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He is saying that in all things God is in control. That the subject here is not all things, but God in all things. All that did or could happen, God is in control over them. He's using them. He's working them. And that, cha- and that changes everything about everyone in every circumstance in every age. When we think about good this morning in the context of God's control, I want to take good and all of its meanings here as the text means it here. That that good means, first of all, fixed and sure. That good means beautiful. That good means loving. Which first again means this. God will not and cannot fail to do his good purposes to his people. Again, I want to make a play on the word good here and put it this way. He has a, he has a plan of good. What's that mean? It will not change. He has a, it will not change. It's fixed. It's a non-bubble. It's right. And sure, you hear people saying, man, that's good. Don't, don't work. Don't, don't, don't mess with it anymore. Or when you're trying to jerry-rig something, you know, you know that thing kind of broken. You put a book under it or something. It's good. It's good. It's sure. It's fine. It won't move. That thing won't break. It's good. And why is that true here? Because God's good design and purpose and plan for his people was before all things. Now look again with me at verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to be to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And it means in short, before you existed, God made an infallible plan for those who would be his to be completely his. You know, it's funny. I don't know if y'all know our story, me and Kelly's story. But 
I remember this feeling I was getting, like I was kind of alone. I was in seminary. And I called my mama. I said, Mama, get the ladies together. Y'all start praying because I think it's time for me to have a wife. I know that sounds all corny and all. A few weeks later, someone stopped me in the hall. Howard, how are you doing? I'm like, good. Some lady I knew around campus, Suzanne, happens to be Kelly's cousin. I think you need to meet my cousin Kelly. I think y'all are like each other. Okay. No lie. As soon as she said it, I thought, this probably could be my wife. I know y'all think I'm nuts. I wasn't wrong, was I? I, it just hit my, it just got in my head. And then, you know, as I began to hear more, I remember going into the office before I even saw Kelly, before we were even in the same city, because she was 700 miles away. Before even, you know, I, I went into my office and I, I said to my boss, this was after some time, I think we'd written or something like that. I said, this woman is going to be my wife. And everyone's like, man, you so desperate. Get away from me. <laughs> here's, here's the point. It's kind of weird now, but I knew her as my wife before she actually was my wife. Like, I foreknew her in our possibilities. Sound like a love song. I foreknew you, baby. Okay. <clears throat> and it meant that I had a plan before it came to actually, before it actually came to pass. And it meant all things that happened during the dating period were driven by the future that I foreknew we would have before it actually happened. Just what little difference between me and God. I didn't have the power and control to actually be sure that she would be mine. What the writer is saying is something incredible and mind-blowing. He is saying that God decided that for those he has decided to be his people, that for them things would be for their good throughout their life and that that he would be good to them and all things that would or could happen in their life story among the multiple options, among the circumstances that it would all work for their good. That God decided in the counsel of his own free will and power to be good to you and make all things good and bad work for your benefit. Get this. Before anything or anyone, even yourself, could mess it up, the plan of God's goodness for those who are his was in full swing before we or anyone else, our past, our present, or our future could stop him. Sorry for those of you who are politically conservative. God is a big government God. Thank you, my wife, who I foreknew. God is a big government God who preempts the plan of our lives with his sovereign welfare. He decides he's going to care for you before you existed to care for you in ways you couldn't care for yourself. So much so that the writer here says that those who he foreknew, again, that means before you existed, he destined or designed to take you on a one-way course of good through a bad world. 
that he's going to take it on a course of benevolence, of beauty, of love, so much so that it says those God already made an object of his affection before one second ticked on their existence, that those he called, that they're going to be transformed. Let's call that sanctification. And then those that are justified, he's also going to glorify. Now, what's interesting about this? Let's look at it real quick now. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What's interesting about that? It's all past tense. That's strange. Well, let me say it this way. God already was good to you before there was a now and a here and a then and a there. That God is fixed for you. God is right for his people. God is sure and never failing for anything your life to come and be could ever bring. And it makes sense what Paul says our our response to this should be in 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God has preordained, predestined according to his foredecided relationship with us as his people, that means nothing we have done or could be done or will be done by anything or anyone can change what is in motion according to God's plan for you to be completely is. I mean, get this. If you belong to him and will come and belong to him, you already have and had a story that at its beginning has a happy ending. So that anything and everything in between is about getting and bringing you from God's goodness that was before you to God's goodness that's in front of you. It's all good because God has fixed it and fixed you in his plan of goodness, which includes and is about being made beautiful. His goodness is about your beauty. Look with me again at verse 29. For those God foreknew, who also predestined, what? To be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. It's about being made more like Jesus. This is what life is about for his people. Again, already called to be like him. This life is about being made more like Jesus. That's why you that's why everything that happens to you happens to, to be justified. The Bible says, which means you have Jesus standing as a son or daughter of God. It's meaning you are at the first step of beauty to God. Justified. You know how babies can be when they first come out? You know how children can look when they go into that awkward phase? Head a little too big for the body? <laughs> Teeth look something wrong? You know that phase where you're only loved because your parents love you, sort of? <laughs> You can't even clean your own self. You know, when babies come out, you love them, though they can look like torpedo-headed, Jabba the Hutt, ham hock lizard-looking thing. 
Well, justification says that you have been born again. That you've been saved. That you are accepted and are God's because of Jesus right now. As much as Jesus is God's son, you, though not so beautiful morally and otherwise, you are his child. Get it? That, that won't change even though you start out being the kind of people only a mother, or in this case, a heavenly father can love. You have the first level of beauty. And it's good that God makes you acceptable like that. You're his. You're born again. Regardless of how you look or how you might act or whether you mess on yourself, whatever it is, how you smell, when you throw up. My kid threw up my mouth once. That's a different sermon. If y'all didn't hear that sermon, forget it. Don't ask how it happened. If you're a parent, you know how it can happen. It wasn't a lot, but it was enough. It was too much. Thank you. But you are accepted. You're his. But but the next level of beauty promised by God is what I would describe sanctification. Now the word isn't here, but it, this is in the context of a sanctification. This whole passage is about that middle passage between being called, predestined, called, justified, his child, and now on the way to finally being where you need to be. Sanctified, being more, created more and more like Jesus. And so the first level of beauty is you're his child, but the next level of beauty promise in God's goodness is the what? You my child and you're going to act and look like it. Right? Daddy, why are you so Because you're going to act right. You my child. But so and so, I don't care what they're doing. I hate it my parents did that. I don't care what they're doing. You my child. Okay. Oh. I gave you some home training. Y'all know this. Some of y'all. You're going to act like you got home training. As I give you some home training, you will act like you got some. It is that beautifying thing in our lives that calls you, his people, to be more and look more and act more like the big brother Jesus who brought you into the family. For those who are not the firstborn, like me. Okay. This may sound like the stuff you hate. Be like your big brother. But this is different when the Bible says in verse 29 that God, you know, that we're going to be conformed to like Jesus, the firstborn among many brethren. What it saying is that God wants us to be like our big brother, not because our big brother is, is simply acting like God, like some of us big brothers can. But because unlike us, Jesus actually is God. In God's definition of beauty is holiness, active holiness. Like I said earlier, being more like Jesus. Paul says, in the image of Christ, who is the exact image of the Heavenly Father, it's time that you and I look like the rest of the family. Not because, not to become God, but to act like God is your father and Jesus is your brother. To be and look like you are the little brother and sister. And that sanctification is good, though like that good home training sometimes as we look at the things we have to go through that Paul mentions sometimes it comes with a little wooden spoon a corner detention, time out a belt doesn't always feel so good 
Paul, I mean, come on. I, I, could you better say this to your parents? What you spank me, mama? Forsake, we face death all day long. I am considered as a sheep to be slaughtered. Oh, really? That's what my mom would say. Oh, really? I'll show you some sheep slaughter. Okay, anyway. But, but there is more here. It says our beauty makeover is not complete with just the heart. It says glorification here. And, and I just kind of have to shorten it a bit. But it means your body too. That God cares about how you actually look too. You ever seen these, this show? I kind of watch it because Kelly watches it. <laughs> or from real board, ain't no game on or nothing like that. You know. TLC what not to wear. And you know, they come to this part of the show where they start crying, you know. Because what they say is your dress says something about your heart. Your dress can make you act a certain way. The reason you feel, well, the reason you're dressing in all black is because you think you're ugly. You're right. I do. You know, and they start crying and all that. And then they wear the colorful clothes. I feel better about myself. When that guy chops off half the hair, they start crying. Say, you think your face is not beautiful. But look, it is. I am beautiful. And so this is, y'all know the deal. You know how you don't act the same in a different suit? Well, glorification is that final piece of beauty where God will give us new bodies that are no longer in conflict with who we are on the inside, that don't war with our new heart He has given us, that our bodies will no longer bear the scars and the weight and the emaciating effects of sinful behavior on our part or the result of the degrading nature of living on this earth, that God will take the burnt, Stuff in our psyche that, that make us believe and then act in crazy ways about ourselves. He's going to take all of that away. We will be holy and completely beautiful. But it requires something hard that is used for good. This body must die, the Bible says, so that we one day can be clothed in immortal beauty. Right? They will have a body that is that is unmarked and unharmed, but its death is the way through. And that's why he says all things, God causes all things, even death itself, to work for your beauty. The hardest part of what not to wear is when they throw all the clothes away. Sometimes I'm like, I know that they're they going to get in the clothes back. I think about that, you know. But, you know, only then can you get the new clothes. God is using all things for our transforming good. He's even using the dirtiness and breaking nature of this world and its setbacks and pitfalls to shape and even death itself to form us. That is why Paul says here, says here in verse 35, What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? Excuse me, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors. We will be made and transformed and being transformed into the image and likeness of God in Jesus Christ through these things. Another show Kelly watches and I kind of catch on the side is Extreme Makeover. Y'all ever seen that? Why I like them dumb shows? Because they reflect God's redemption. See, y'all missed out. 
But you know, they get this thing, they want to look better, and they don't just change your clothes. They give you plastic surgery and all on this one, right? Give you new teeth. <laughs> Have you ever seen them do a nose job on this show? <gasps> That's supposed to be good? I mean, the guy gets up with this thing, and he takes a hammer. He's like, I gotta break this part. The ugly part, stick it down or whatever. I mean, it's just terrible because you got this like underneath and the head just... I'm like, and it's what? Good! They're going to come out looking good because someone hammered their nose with a something. They broke the nose so they could come out better. I mean, you ever heard of, think about spa treatment? Some of y'all go to the spa and hear people say, man, the spa was so good. How can it be so good when they did everything bad to you in that spa? You call that good and beauty, give a little tea, you think you're okay, right? Play a little music, have the sense, oil's going. No, they plucked and they pulled and they covered your face with mud. <laughs> or, you know, hey, this kind of treatment, we got to tell you what's in there, but it's good for your skin. Somehow a mud facial is good for your skin. How can dirt or whatever they put in there be good for your skin and then someone pounds you with the hands I got a massage once this little lady came in I'm like she ain't gonna do nothing (laughs) I'm like girl she she listen (laughs) how can I mean you go work out at the gym even yoga or pilates man your arm and leg doesn't want to go that way even if it's supposed to be able to stretch good from hard situations somehow beauty from pain beauty from pounding and breaking and reshaping I don't know the dirt you're going through or the dirt that has been slung even in your face. I don't know the breaking everyone in here is going through. I don't know all the details. I don't know all the death you're feeling or you may be experiencing. I don't know what you have lost lately or what has stretched you further than you think you can bear. I mean, I don't know what the markets say or the experts all claim about your portfolio or your equity. I don't know what has raised you to ecstasy or comfort, but know this. If you are his, all of these things, if you are in Christ, have been and are being used by God for the good of your beauty. So much so that as Paul puts it here, no thing you can experience can say about you that you are condemned or forgotten or left behind or shamed or despised or or somehow you have an absent-minded God or, or Murphy's Law is your new God or that you're hated or that you're ugly. Because all of anything, if you're his, is only and always being worked by God for your beauty, for your good, for his purposes. And let me tell you that when you're going through hard and difficult, dark times, when you feel like the sheep for the slaughter, because that's what life is about, right? Sometimes I'm like, God, why you put me here? Just a sheep, right? I just follow the crowd sometimes. Every now and then I get a nice pasture. But you know what's going to end up happening in the end. What happens when I don't give good wool anymore, right? I'll be somebody's lunch. This is life. 
with all of the evil in the world around you, you got to question what his ultimate so-called good goal of all this is, right? I know he wants to flex his omni-nature. He wants to make us right and righteous and beautiful, putting us through an extreme makeover and all of that, even letting us die to get there. But what does he want? God is in control in all of these ways, using all of these things because he wants to love you and me. He wants you. He wants me. He wants us. He wants to be with his people. Look with me at the first verse again. And we know that in all things, God worked for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Those that love him. And then he defines those who love him, right? Those whom are called to his purposes. And then he goes through all everything that they go through. God does all of these things and works all things to bring us to the best place you and I could be in an unconditional, experiential love relationship with God. Understand what Paul is saying here. God is seeking to have a long-distance relationship and his goal is closing the distance. Long-distance, because we are sinners. Long distance because we are broken. Long distance because we live in a fallen and dirty and evil and dark place filled with what? Paul says it here in verse 35. He says trouble and hardship and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger and sword. And then at 36, death. Sin and ugliness and unholiness. What kind of gap or distance are we talking about here? The distance between God's eternity past and our eternity future. Our sin, his holiness. His ominous, our finiteness. Our fear and his fortitude. Our cowardice and his sovereign determination. God's love is about him deciding to have a long distance relationship to no longer having us to live in one with him. You know what one what what one hit wonder song comes to mind y'all it's a corny song lord it's corny but i can't get it out of my mind and when i bring it up you probably sing it the rest of the day if you've heard it if you ain't heard it too bad i'm sorry i got no other thing for you today y'all remember the proclaimers two weird looking twin guys were they from ireland or scotland or something like this Huh? Scotland? Okay. They're from Scotland. The song is I'm Gonna Be. Y'all know this song? I'm Gonna Be. Okay. <laughs> kind of sums up this whole thing. I'm gonna be. Okay. When I wake up. I knew it! I know y'all were trying to put that song to rest, but I'm resurrecting it. When I wake up, yeah, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you, right? When I go out, I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who goes along with you. And I cut some verses out because I don't think the Lord trying to get drunk with you. But anyway, but here's the deal. Y'all already singing that. How are you going to pull that one off? Okay, let me move on. It says this, but I would walk 500 miles. 
And I would walk 500 more. Just to be the man who walked 1,000 miles to fall down at your door. When I'm working, yes. I'm... I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who's working hard for you. And when the money comes in for the work I'll do, I'll pass almost every penny onto you. When I come home, I'm going to be the man who comes back home to you. But I would walk 500 miles and I would walk 500 more just to be the man who walked 1,000 miles to fall down at your door. You know why it's so easy to miss out realizing God's goodness to us in this crazy world? Because somehow in our mind, we think he's asking us to walk the 500 miles. That somehow this gap of goodness in a bad world is dependent on us being the kind of people he wants. That somehow we fool ourselves into thinking he's looking for us to be the kind of people who would work real hard for his love. We thought he was asking us. To do what it takes for bad to turn to our good and have that kind of religion is not good for us, really. And that kind of religion, rather, is not good for us. It's really bad. And in bad situations, people, like he is looking for us, he, like, okay. Let me slow down. That kind of religion is asking for people in bad situations to somehow be good. And yet the story as Paul puts it here in verse 32 through 35 is this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It was Christ who walked the distance. Understand it was Christ who came to earth. It was he who sought us out. It was he who braved and experienced all that we deserve to. And he didn't have to do it. It was God and Jesus Christ who fell down at our door, killed by our sin, who walked and worked and died and arose to turn this world's happenings toward our good. It was Christ God come as man who who took all the work he would do and pass almost every penny of his worth to you, transforming you and making you holy. Guess why? Just to be the God who's next to you. So that you can be the man and women and people who holy enough can be next to him for all eternity. Did I say God was in control for our good? He had to and he wants to and he did so no longer. Would we live believing our world and its fallen happenings somehow separated us from God and his goodness? That somehow God could not be reached? That that somehow God had gotten lost and had given up on us? Christ has walked on our behalf and made up the difference and the distance. He has reached us and rescued us and is with us and in us and around us. And for that reason, 
We are no longer stuck here in the yin and the yang and the one step forward and two steps back in the Murphy's Law. Somehow in the trials and tribulations and in the darkness and the alignment of the stars and all of those things. Good news. We will not and cannot be separated because of and from the love of God and Jesus Christ. Good news from a good God who is in control of all things, who has as his object of affection you, his people, through trials and tribulations and darkness, when you can't see him, he sees you. Because of Jesus, your world and your life is and could be under the loving, beautifying, and never-failing goodness of God's control. He's a good God, the good God who is in control. Let us pray. We can't do it. We can't walk it. We can't bridge the gap. We can't bridge the distance. Your sovereign plan of goodness, your foreknowledge, predestined, called, justified, sanctified, glorified plan, bridge the gap. Lord, we don't call your name like we should. But we call it now Jesus. Jesus. Call those that aren't yours to be yours. Lord, in our trials and our tribulations right now, help us to know and see how much you love us. Lord, help us to believe that you've already bridged the gap. You've already made up the distance. And for that, Lord, we know you will close the deal. Lord, it's hard to trust you. But thank you that you didn't trust our sense of faith. To help us survive this world. Thank you that you are a faithful and in control God. That made it happen for us. Yet despite us. Thank you God. Work in our hearts. Help us to see these things I pray in Jesus name. Amen.